America's great. It's a great country. And Sandy and I have had the opportunity of traveling. We've traveled to five continents of the seven continents and uh, had the opportunity of preaching in China and, and in Israel and Africa, South America, Mexico, uh, a lot of different countries. And, you know, the more we travel, the more I realize how great America is. And we've been in every state, I guess, of the United States and Canada. We've ridden that Harley through 47 states, trying to figure out how we can get it to Hawaii, but I don't know if we might have to just rent one there. But, but um, and you know, the more that we visit, there's some beautiful places there, but you know, uh, we talk, it's pretty hot down here in Alvin right now, but you know, it's just as hot in Chicago as it is here, you know, so, they, and they have some pretty bad winters, so it's not a bad place to live, really, is it? And uh, so we live in a great country, and uh, while it's not a perfect place, like heaven's going to be, it's a lot better than a lot of uh, nations around the world. But uh, America's a crazy place, and this one guy wrote this, uh, these little things. He said, only in America, maybe you've heard some of this, he says, only in America can pizza get to your house faster than the ambulance. I can testify to that because I've had an amnesia. Only in America are there handicapped parking places in front of the skating rink. <laughs> Only in America do drugstores make the sick walk all the way to the back while they sell cigarettes at the very front. Huh? Go figure. Um, only in America do people order double cheeseburgers, large fry, and a Diet Coke. But see, I got that figured out because I learned that in algebra. You know, a negative cancels out a positive. So that's, that's why you always want to have a Snickers and a Diet Coke. I learned that a long time ago. Um, and only in America, he wrote this. He says, uh, do we leave cars worth thousands of dollars in the driveway and we put our junk in the garage? <laughs> yeah. And only in America do we have Braille at the drive-up ATM machine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's kind of a crazy place. You know, I feel blessed by God to, to have been born and raised in the good old USA. And we're reminded of that on this holiday especially. And I want to kind of take a little break in our series of hearing God to, to talk about how great America is and what our responsibility is of keeping it great. You know, um, we need to, to help keep America great. How can we do that? You see, there's going to be, one day there'll be a judgment of the nations, and, and it talks about that, and Jesus talks about the judgment of the nations, and, and that those that have, um, and he tells it in a parable like this, and we use this story a lot of times when we talk about meeting certain needs, but he said, I was hungry and you fed me. He said, I was naked and you clothed me, and, and he said, I was sick and you came and visited me. I was in prison and you came and visited me, and they said, Lord, when, you know, when did we see you hungry and we fed you and all through this. And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so that's a principle that works. That's why we're, we are to help others. But in prophetic order, in the way in the text that that's written, he says, these brothers of mine, and he was talking about Israel. When you've helped Israel, when you've helped them, when you've done this for Israel, then you've done it unto me. We know that Israel is the apple of God's eye and and uh, when he made the covenant with Abraham, he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Makes me concerned because of the way that, uh, that our country and our leadership has, has taken a turn away from support with Israel in the last probably eight years or so. And uh, that's really concerning because that means then that, that God will 
judge America. You know, how many of you know that uh, we're not in quite as good a shape today as what we were a few years back? And, you know, we see things changing so rapidly. Uh, never would I have thought that America could run the risk of losing uh, that world status for currency. You know, the dollar bill is recognized as world, the standard for, because it's based on oil. And now China uh, and Russia have, you know, are really pretty dominant. And China's, they're really pushing for their currency to be the dominant current, the standard. You know, we're so in debt to, to China that it's amazing. And, and the Bible talks about that um, the borrower is a servant to the lender. And and that principle applies. So America is in not very good place right now. Uh, I've told you that I really feel like prophetically in the way that things are lining up and the way that the seasons are as far as God's calendar that September the 13th, I think, is going to be a very critical day. I think that the stock market's going to hit a, a low, an all-time low that probably we haven't seen before between the 13th of September and the 28th of September. You say, well, that's a pretty bold statement. I'm just telling you, I mean, that's just my guess from looking at the calendar and seeing that we're living in a Shemitah, as a, as a Jewish word, Shemitah year. This is the seventh year of a seven-year cycle. And it's also uh, the 49th year of a 50 cycle where we're going into a Jubilee, which is a great time where all debts are erased and all that was back in uh, the Jewish time. And people say, well, we don't keep Jewish holidays. And uh, No, but we keep the Lord's feast. Uh, or, you know, he hadn't changed. His, it's, it's not a Jewish feast. It's the Lord's feast. And he set those things in as seasons and as signs. And so, uh, and he deals with Israel. And so, you know, right now Israel's not doing very well on what they're supposed to be doing during this Smita year and going into the Jubilee. So judgment falls there. It's also going to be falling on uh, others as well. So I just think that there's some, some times that's coming that's going to be a little bit shaky. But that, you know, there's, there's been shaky times before, right? And so... The Bible says that a thousand may fall on my right hand and ten thousand you know, on my left, but it shall not come nigh my dwelling. So we need to make sure we're in a position with God and our relationship is such that, he, that we are sheltered in Him. Amen? We need the wisdom of God to do what we need to do. We need to, you know, every, every purchase, every financial decision is a spiritual decision. And so we need to think about things like that. But... Um, uh, we, I think, have a responsibility for our nation because, as I said a while ago, there will be a judge, judgment of nations and the way that it says in the Bible that there will be sheep nations and goat nations and the sheep nations will be those that supported and stood by Israel and they'll be able to enter into the millennial time, the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, as a nation, as a recognized nation, and the others won't. Um, America right now is pretty risky. I get, I get emails and texts with, with biblical questions and things uh, and asking me certain questions. And so, boy, a lot of times I have to grab and look, and, and it's good. It keeps me, makes me keep my, my sword sharp. And uh, my mother-in-law asked this question. She said, well, what do you think? Is America going to be a sheep nation or a goat nation? I said, well, I'm going to say a sheep nation. I believe that America is going to have a change. You know, uh, just was it last week or the week before last that um, the Supreme Court made a ruling for uh, same-sex marriage. And the Bible's pretty clear in that. And uh, again, you know, I think that the 
the theme there was that love won out. Well, you know, we don't hate anyone. God doesn't hate anyone. He loves the world. That's why he sent his son. God hates the sin. He loves the sinner. And I think that that's the way we are. But people, we have a responsibility. And um, we, we can't be an ostrich and hide our head in the sand and think everything's going away. Uh, you'll see on the little handout there, and um, you might look in your Bibles as well, to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4. And the scriptures I'm going to take today are primarily from the New International Version. But the Apostle Paul gives us several things that we can do to help keep America great. And I think it's going to be our responsibility. We're here for a reason. You know, you, your family, God ordains you and he puts you together in a family and, and you're responsible for your family. You're responsible, he puts you in this family, this, this local church. And then we have responsibilities here and what he calls us to do and, and how faithful we are in doing what he calls us to do. And so there are certain things, positions where God places us and expectations that he expects from us from where we are and how we, uh, what we're to do. Well, we're in America, we are Americans, and we have a responsibility for this nation. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, tells us some of those responsibilities. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. So the very first thing that we can do to help keep America great is pray for America. And you say, well, duh, yeah, we, we think that would be a given, but do you on your prayers as you're praying through the day and you pray for your family and you pray for various needs, do you pray for this nation? We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to pray for our president. We're supposed to pray for those that are in authority. You know, uh, a lot of us, maybe you don't know who your, even your state representative is or who your congressman is or whatever. Well, you might need to know that because we need to be praying for them. Why? Because they're making decisions. You see, the decision that was made that, uh, for same-sex marriage that's because the men that are in that position that were appointed there were appointed by a president that was elected. Who elects him? We do. And so it's our responsibility. Jesus told us that we're to be salt and light. So as we go into our community and we're part of this, this world and, uh, and our, our nation and we're citizens, then we're to be salt, which purifies. We're to be light, which exposes that. And so that's our responsibility. You say, well... You know, what's one person going to do? Well, it's, you know, what happens, that doesn't make any difference. You know, I mean, uh, we're, we're responsible for our actions and what we do. God takes care of the results or he'll judge the results. But remember the parable when he talked about the talents and he gave one ten, one five, and one two, and the one that had two, he buried it and he says, well, I knew you were a hard judge and that, you know, so I just wanted to give you back what you, what you gave me. And he says... You wicked and slowful servant. You know, take what he has and give it to the one that has ten. He says, you should have at least invested it so I could have got something back. You know, he should have done something. He should have been responsible. We can't say, well, there's nothing that I could do about it. I mean, what difference would my voice count? What difference would my vote make? Well, it makes a big difference uh, because it's our responsibility. Whether or not it changes, that's going to be up to somebody else, and they're going to stand before God. But if it's just one person... 
I think about Jeremiah when he was a prophet. I need to preach a sermon about uh, uh, Jeremiah and his dirty underwear. You know, he laid on the street. It was one of the ways he's supposed to get everybody's attention was to lay out on the street there in his underwear. And, I mean, you know, you think, talk about, I'm glad God didn't call me to be a prophet. You know, they do some strange things, you know, but to cry out and, and to, to warn that nation, it was like he was the only one, but hey, he was faithful. I, you know, I'm glad God's not calling me to do anything like that, <laughs> amen? But, but we're to pray. That's the first thing that we can do to keep this nation great is pray for America. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. So, you know, the groundwork for freedom that we enjoy has been laid over the past 239 years of this great nation. And we enjoy our freedoms today because of what our founding fathers and what our fathers and what our brothers, our sisters, what our sons and our daughters have done to get and to preserve the freedoms. I watched a little mini-series on the uh, some channel and it was talking about the Revolutionary War and I really never realized that that uh, the British actually recruited as about 8,000 uh, loyalists uh, from that the southern regions and they literally fought against the Patriots of the northern and it was really it was Americans against Americans but it was those that were aligned with Britain and those that were aligned with uh, as, as patriots for America. I didn't realize that. And, you know, so there was a great price that was paid because of several were fighting against their neighbors, literally. It was kind of like the Civil War back then. And um, many people lost their lives, paid a great price for our freedom. But, you know, we need to realize that our freedom didn't come cheap. It wasn't cheap. The patriots fought and died to, to give us our Freedom of religion. Say that with me. Freedom of religion. You know, there are those today who are trying to tell us that uh, the intention, because they know, you know, they know what the intention was of these, of our founding fathers, because they assume that that's what it was, but they, uh, they tell us, they're trying to tell us that the intention of our founding fathers was to give us freedom from religion. But, you know, I want to tell you, there's a big difference between freedom of religion and freedom from religion. You know, of means in relation to. From means separation or removal or prevention of something. And so there's a big difference in freedom of religion and freedom from religion. And they fought and died for us to have freedom of religion. Uh, are we a Christian nation? Supposed to be. But our president said that we weren't a Christian nation anymore. And so it's hard to tell, you know. So I don't know. Um, I know that the majority of Americans are Christians, but I don't know if the majority is doing anything or not. Um, was this nation founded upon Christian principles? Absolutely, it was. We can read that. The first settlers of America came here to express their religious faith for freedom of worship. The pilgrims who came to Plymouth Rock uh, on the Mayflower, wrote in the Mayflower Compact in 1620, listen to what they said this, as they wrote this in 1620. It says, in the name of God, amen, having under, undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together 
boy, that's no doubt. It says, in the name of God, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of, of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together for this purpose. They came here to advance the kingdom of God and to have the, the freedom to do that. 23 years later, the New, the New England Confederacy or Confederation was written, and uh, listen to what our founding fathers wrote. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. How can that be misunderstood? Listen to it again. It says, whereas we all came into these parts or came here to America with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. Why else would they lay down their lives and die for what? Well, yeah, we say freedom, but freedom for what? You know, they were making good money. In fact, that's why many in the southern uh, colonies really lined with Britain because, you know, they were raising crops and sending them, and they were making good money. I mean, uh, had the freedom to, for, uh, to, you know, to advance and, uh, you know, for farming and various things like that and shipping and sending it back to, to, back to England and them dispersing it, making good money. So it wasn't really so much for that. But it was the freedom to worship. And I think that we've got away from that because history has let it, left those things out. I don't know, when you were in school, did history seem kind of boring? Most people say history was boring. You know why? Because they leave the majority of it out because of what, it, what the real intentions were. You know, um, there shouldn't be any misunderstanding at all of why our founding fathers did what they did. You know, this is a much different idea than, uh, you know, to, to say that it was, it was for some other reason. It's just totally misunderstood. Now listen to what the framers of the Constitution wrote in 1776. It says, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assemble appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the... Uh, rectitude of our intentions and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor you know, they were giving everything that they had and it says they were appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the uh, for these things they were saying we're doing this under under God and for him to advance his kingdom and to be able to worship him in freedom you know, with the First Continental Congress, when the First Continental Congress met and uh, they were debating about how the Declaration of Independence uh, should be written, old Ben Franklin got up and he said this. He said, gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. And after he said that, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, they went to their knees and began to pray and to seek God's wisdom for what to do on this, at this nation. You know, can you imagine what would happen if uh, that were to happen in our Congress and in the Supreme Court today? And they said, Almighty God, what do you want us to do? 
we might have some different decisions coming out of uh, those, some of those places if they did that. 56 brave men signed our Declaration of Independence. And when they did that, they knew that they were putting their life on the line, literally. You know, do you realize the price that they paid for your freedom, your independence, and uh, the freedom that uh, we enjoy today? Listen to this. Here's just a small summary. Five were captured and tortured by the British before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground. Now think about this, if this were you today, okay? And you've been carrying out your life, just everything going just the way it's, it's always gone, and then all of a sudden, this changes. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground. Two lost their sons in the, the American Revolution. One had two sons captured in the war for our independence. Nine fought and died from wounds of the Revolutionary War. Carter uh, Braxton, a wealthy Virginia trader, saw his ship destroyed and had to sell his home to pay his debts, and he died in poverty. Thomas McKean had to constantly move his family because of British harassment. He served in Congress without pay and died in poverty. Thomas Nelson urged General Washington to destroy his home because uh, it had been taken over by the British and was used as a command post. And uh, he ended up dying bankrupt. Your freedom and independence came to you at a great cost. Our founding fathers were committed to not only obtaining freedom uh, for future generations, they were committed to Christian principles. Listen to some of the, uh, of some of the things that, that, that some of them said. John Quincy Adams said this. He was the second president, and he's speaking of the Declaration of Independence. He said... From the time of the, of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by law of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledged as the root of their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. Our second president, John Quincy Adams, that's what he wrote. Wow. He said, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledged as the root of their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. I'd like to hear one of our elected officials make statements like that today. George Washington, in his farewell address, said, Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. He said, if they, you know, if they attempt to remove them, don't let them even attempt to claim or, or to be, you know, a part of it. Don't let them be an elected official. You know, so our responsibility, this freedom that's been passed down to us, is that we shouldn't uh, allow someone to be elected if they don't proclaim the principles of Jesus Christ. That's what our founders, our founding fathers died for, you know. Not only are we going to have to answer to God, but we're going to have to answer to these, these men for what we've done with what they've handed on down to us. Patrick Henry said, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow! <laughs> I just think it's amazing to hear, you know, 
people in positions of authority like that make statements. We don't hear that today. These men and hundreds more paid a price to give us a nation built upon the principles of God and the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's why America was great and has been great. The foundation has been laid. You know, can we do any less than to pray for America? Can we at least pray for this country? You know, if we're going to see good come from America, we, the church, the believers, Christians, uh, the called of God, God's people need to pray for America and for our leaders. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority. You know, you might say, well, how effective are my prayers? James chapter 5 verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Are you righteous? Well, if you are a child of God, you are because you've been declared righteous by Jesus Christ. God has declared the believing sinner to be righteous based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, not upon your work or upon your merits. So, yes, your prayers are effective because you are righteous and they're powerful as well. You know, uh, Satan's chief concern is to keep Christians like you and like me from praying. Somebody said this one, they said the devil trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. And how can we keep America great? Well, we can pray. Second, we need to live righteous lives. Paul goes on to say there in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verse 2, the, the second part, he says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's what's expected of us. If we want to change the way America is headed, we need to live our lives in all godliness and holiness. And how do we do this? How are we supposed to do this? By living according to the standards set forth in God's Word. Just what His Word tells us to do. And do you realize that the very framework of our nation's government was uh, patent, patterned after the Bible? The three branches of government, when they went to form this, uh, they went to Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22. Uh, you know, th this concept of three branches of government wasn't, it was never even... It wasn't seen any place else. And in Isaiah 33:22, it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Judge, that's the judicial branch. Lawgiver, that's the legislative branch. King, that's the executive branch. Now, our founding fathers looked to the, to the word of God to organize the government of our nation. And, you know, we've... It's been around for 239 years now. It's been doing pretty good so far. It's, it's our watch now, and uh, we've got to continue to keep this nation great. They laid that foundation, and now we are to build upon it. And I realize that our nation has strayed away from God's word and the original intent of our founding fathers. Many of our lead leaders are trying to, to take not only God out of our nation, but... Uh, the very mention of God. You know, some want to take in God we trust uh, off of our money, and some are trying to take under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Some are trying to take the uh, Ten Commandments 
out of public view. Oklahoma just uh, passed that the law. They're going to remove the Ten Commandments. I'm really disappointed in Oklahoma. I was born there, didn't live there long, but uh, I'm really disappointed. You know, I'm proud of Texas. They tried to do that in Texas, and Greg Abbott, who was the Attorney General at that time, who's he's our governor now. He fought them and didn't allow that to happen. But people, it's, it's, they're working on it. It's working. And it's a minority branch of people that are doing these things. And, it's, and we're not aware of it. But we need to be, we need to be informed. And we need, that's why we need to pray. And then we need to live godly lives and, and live before others that they'll see. So they get saved. Saved people's not going to do that. I remember getting so discouraged one time. I thought, Lord, what can we do about this? This is horrible. What, what can we do? He says, just get them saved. You know, if they're saved, if they're Christians, then they're not going to act like that, right? You know, some are trying to eliminate even the mention of God in anything that, that's public or especially has to do with government. You know, the, the World War II monument was dedicated in Washington, D.C. Uh, with a noticeable phrase deleted from the quote from President Franklin D. Roosevelt that he used to announce the attack on Pearl Harbor and so they quoted him, but they left out the last four words on purpose. And those last four words were, so help us God. They left those four out, those four words out. You know, there's not a lot I can do about the, uh, the movement to eliminate even the, the mere mention of God in our government, probably. But, you know, there is something that we can do to keep sin from dishonoring his name and keep sin from dishonoring our nation. Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we need to live godly lives, righteous lives. Uh, sin has disgraced God's name and our nation. It shouldn't be that way. You know, just take a look at, at these st statistics. Out of 877,000 marriages in 2014, 50% of those will end in divorce, even among Christians. This is counting Christians. Teenage pregnancies, half of which will end in, ab in abortion. Said uh, that I think 40% of the births are, uh, are unwed mothers. 60% of 12 to 18-year-olds who claim to be Christians are sexually active. Do we need a youth ministry in church? Yes, we do. Since 1976, child abuse is up 240%. Pornography, sexual abuse, broken homes, abuse of power, all of these things. People, we have a responsibility to live godly lives before others that our lives can be a testimony you don't have to condemn anybody. I can tell you, you can be just as, as cordial and sweet and live a godly life and people will hate you <laughs> because light dispels darkness and they feel uncomfortable around you when maybe you're doing everything that you can for them. But just a godly life is light and that light dispels darkness and we're called to be light in darkness. And how dark is that darkness today? Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. It says, look, gross darkness, gross darkness is upon the face of the earth today. It is. 
people, you don't have to be much light when it's completely dark. Just let your light shine. That's what Jesus said. So how can we keep America great? Well, you know, uh, Paul wrote there, he says that we may lead quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and honesty. So we keep America great, first of all, by praying. Second, we let, we're to live righteous lives. And then the third is to share Christ. Verses 3 and 4 there in the second chapter of, of, of Timothy says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Now, if we do anything, we want to please Him. If there's anybody that you want to make happy or, or please, it's the Lord. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the only thing necessary, uh, one person, I think it was Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for, tri for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And that's true. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And all the women said, amen, that worthless guy, he ought to do something. If you men would get up and do something. We need to, to do something. And one of the main things is share Christ. And we do that through our testimony. We were just talking about living a godly life. But, you know, we're called to... People say, well, what's Light Christian Center all about? Well, win the lost, develop the saved. That's pretty much it. You know, a few things it takes in between. But win the lost, develop the saved. That's what we're called to do. The unbelieving world is shouting out its message and it's being heard. Gay and the gays and lesbians are speaking out, you know, and gay marriages are being performed now and, you know, our leaders are listening to them. The abortionists are speaking out and abortion is still legal and uh, it's actually on the increase and our leaders are listening. The liberals are speaking out. You know, family values has become a, a laughing stock and our leaders are listening. The sad truth is that the Christians in America, we are the majority, but we are new, we're, we're doing very little to speak out as a witness for the Lord. We're content just to sit in our homes and shake our heads and, um, you know, maybe at the direction that this country's going and saying, oh, how terrible and this and that and whatever, but what are we doing? Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger, okay? I'm just the mailman. I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. It's just what God has to say to us today. And we don't like it because it hurts because it's our watch. And you say, well, I didn't bring all this on. No, but it's our time. And we're here for this time. And so we can at least pray. We can live a, a, a righteous life and we can share Christ. I guarantee you that your place of work, if you'll just live a life holy unto the Lord, and I'm not talking about being holier than thou, that you can't have anything to do with anybody. No, I'm not talking about that. You don't have to carry a 16-pound Schofield Bible to work with you. I'm not talking about that. You know, you ought to be interacting. You ought to be the best worker on the job. You know, you ought to be the best friend that there is. But when people can ignore you and they might not like you, like it and they might uh, you know they might feel convicted probably because of your testimony but when they have a problem they'll come by your desk they'll come by your cubicle and they'll ask you to pray for them because they'll know they know where to go for prayer you know we were content to sit in church and say amen to the sermon but 
We do very little outside the church to be a witness for the Lord. You know, God expects us to use the freedom that our founding fathers made possible to be a witness for Christ in this sinful world that we live. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10, uh, 3 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and, the and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The Antichrist, the lawless one, the man of sin, he's, you know, that presence is already here. Satan always, he's got a bullpen. He doesn't know when Christ is coming back. He's got to have somebody ready. Down through the history, I think, that we've seen those that he's had ready. And so, but it says that, that what holds that back? Those that there's a hindering force and it's believers, it's praying, spirit-filled praying believers that are praying and holding back that force. And so as long as we're present, we're going to hold that back. But when we're gone, then it'll be released. And that man of sin, the Antichrist, will make his play and go into prophecy and we see the, the tribulation time and those things happen. But until that time, we have a responsibility to do something, and that's to pray and to live a, a godly life and to share Christ. Because the last part of that, it says that, um, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. You say, well, then why even witness to them if they're going to refuse to even be saved? Because God can't judge them if they haven't had an opportunity to refuse it. You know, you say, well, why even go vote? Because when I vote, it's like that person doesn't get in. But when we stand before God, did you vote the way that we're supposed to vote? You know, we're not, it shouldn't be results-oriented. We ought to just be obedient and be faithful. But we witness and we share Christ uh, so that a person has an opportunity. We were in India, and uh, we went up to Dramsala, where the Dalai Lama's temple is, and we were walking on Temple Road, and it was, it's sad, people sitting there with leprosy. I, you know, I never had seen anyone with leprosy before, and this was supposed to be, you know, they're sitting there, and, and all these people with all kinds of problems and hurting, and uh, here comes the Dalai Lama in his Mercedes, and all of a sudden everybody falls down because you're supposed to be lower than what his head is, and his head, he was sitting in the car, so I just kind of went like that. I stood as high as I could, and caught his attention and I thought I want to see the Buddha of compassion how dare you 
say that you are a man of, you know, he's been in our country. And everybody, oh, the Dalai Lama's here and he's so much love, so much love, so much love. Yeah, how can you say that you are the, the Buddha of compassion and then drive right by all these people here that have needs? Been there, saw that. It don't work. It's not working. What's interesting is that uh, they actually have an anti-conversion law where we were. You can't, it's against the law to convert anybody. But, uh, you know, they talk about their gods, and I, I said, oh, man, I, I could never do that. I said, that's just too many to keep track of. I just, I just serve the one God. One God? What God is that? Well, since you ask. <laughs> oh, the one that created all this stuff and all, you know. And so we can witness like that. But I, they asked me to share in this, the Anglican church that's there in this particular region that the British built way back, and they still have it today. It's under the government. Government sanctions it. And, um, you know, they wear the, the robes and all that stuff. But they asked me to share that, that day. And I said, oh, I'd love to be able to, to share. And I asked God to give me the wisdom on what to do and what to say and within that time frame. And he did. And afterwards, this man came up to me, he's, um, you know, a very well-dressed man, and, and he introduced himself to me, and, and I said, oh, nice to meet you, and he said, I appreciate what you had to say, he said, I'd like for you to come over to our house later on for, for lunch, for something, for coffee, tea, and uh, yes, tea there, and to, uh, we'd like to, to visit, and I said, well, sure, we'll see if we can work that out, come to find out he was the, uh, uh, the liaison from the Indian government to, uh, to, to the Dalai Lama, he and one other guy are with the Dalai Lama all the time, side by side. And I thought, oh, yeah. And he's a Christian, and the other guy's a Christian. And I said, wow, isn't that amazing? The Bible says, in the mouth of two or more witnesses, let a thing be established. And I thought, one day, the Dalai Lama will stand before God and have to give an answer and give an account for his life. And he'll not be able to say, oh, I didn't know, because there's two men that's by him all the time that, that's a witness, and they live a life. He, you know, basically... What do you, I, asked, I said, well, what do you do? How, you know, what's your plan? He says, pray, live a godly life, and share Christ when I can share Christ. And I thought, there you go. That's how simple it is. People think, well, that's what we can do. That ought to be the, the, the easiest thing that we can do. Uh, let me tell you this little story. This, uh, one Sunday, his family, they, they drove home from church, and little Sarah turned to her mother and said, Mommy, there's uh, something the preacher said this morning that I don't understand. What was that, honey? Well, he said that God is bigger than, than we are. He said that God is so big that he could uh, hold the whole world in his, in his hand. Is that true? And the mother replied, yes, honey, that's true. But mommy, he's also said that God comes to live inside of us when we trust Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Is that true too? The mother assured little Sarah that, that what the pastor said was was true. Well, Sarah, with a very puzzled look on her face, uh, she then asked, if God is bigger than us and he, lives, and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Well, Sarah's right. He ought to show through, right? And that's what God ought to do. You know, if God lives in you, he ought to show through you. And the lost and the dying world that is around us ought to see him in us. The only hope for America is Jesus. And if you believe that, you know, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, let your light shine so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen to Psalm 33, 12 again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This nation, God has been the God of this nation and he still should be the people we have a responsibility to make sure that he is, that he still is. And uh, when our nation, uh, including those who call themselves Christian, cease to look to God, then we cease to be blessed by God. Did you hear that? When we as a nation cease to look to God, then we cease to be blessed by God. Jesus said there in the fifth chapter of Matthew that I just read, but back up verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father or glorify your Father in heaven. We are to be salt and light. We're to be the purifying force and the illuminating force in this world that we live in. In, in our own lives, in our family, in our church, in our community, in this nation. So let's keep America great. You know, she needs our help for sure. And how can we do it? Well, we can pray. We can do exactly what Paul told us. We can live a righteous life and we can share Christ. So that's what we need to do. Amen.